0: What is the model minority myth and how does it impact the AAPI community? Furthermore, how does the model minority myth affect race relations? Among the AAPI community, for those who have internalized the racist model minority myth, how does it impact one's ability to engage in social justice work? From a potential intervention perspective, what are some ways to begin to challenge the model minority myth as part of one's racial identity development? Welcome to People of Color in Psychology, the show that explores mental health topics specific to culture, diversity, and communities of color. I am your host, Jack Sun. Jackie Yi, a second-generation Korean-American, is in her final year of the Clinical Community Psychology PhD program at the University of Illinois-Urbana-Champaign, and is currently a doctoral intern at the University of Miami Counseling Center. She defended her dissertation titled, Activism Among Asian American College Students, a Grounded Theory Study in August, 2022, which was awarded the Jeffrey S. Tanaka UIUC Asian American Studies Grant. Jackie will begin a tenure track assistant professor of psychology position at University of Washington Bothell in September, 2023. Recently, Jackie published an article in the Journal of Counseling Psychology titled, Ignoring Race and Denying Racism, a meta-analysis of the associations between colorblind racial ideology, anti-Blackness, and other variables antithetical to racial justice. Jackie's research focuses on institutional racism and social justice attitudes and behaviors, particularly among Asian American communities. Her clinical areas of interest include identity development, relational issues, career concerns, and prevention and outreach on college campuses. Jackie, thank you for joining us as part of the AAPI series conversation.
1: Thanks so much for having me, excited to be here.
0: I appreciate you taking the time while you're doing internship and doing this recording with us while also going through this period of adjustment. Can you tell me how you got to where you are today?
1: Sure, absolutely. I would say I've always been interested in the helping professions. Thinking back, I, I thought I wanted to be a teacher. My dad was a, a high school principal, he really inspired me to pursue kind of a fulfilling career where you serve others with compassion. You impact future generations and you help other people in their journeys towards personal growth. And so I really grew up hearing about how prevalent mental health issues are among students in particular. I remember my dad attending almost five funerals one year in one year of school for for students who died by suicide or substance use and overdosing. And, And then I was also seeing similar concerns among my peers in my own school. And so I would say that's how I initially became really interested in mental health. But then as I moved through undergrad, I majored in psychology and I got involved in research kind of on a whim and and other clinical and applied experiences throughout undergrad. And I developed a strong passion there for social justice and activism as a college student. And so I found that a path towards a doctorate in psychology would kind of fulfill me professionally to fit all these interests and, and values in social justice and skills and in, in working directly with people through clinical work and teaching and mentoring, but also thinking kind of analytically about the world and being able to have the, the opportunity to write about society and write about social justice issues as a professor. And so ultimately wanting to be able to, to kind of create a career path that works on promoting social justice. And I couldn't have found a better path towards that.
0: Wow! Wow! Thanks for sharing that history as well as struggles that people were dealing with. It, was this in high school when you were exposed to some of the
1: middle school, high school? Oh, yeah. wow! I was seeing, yeah, a lot of a lot of my peers struggling. There was, yeah, I would say that my generation has become more aware of mental health concerns. And I think it's wonderful that we have less stigma and more access to these mental health resources. But yeah, I think that that was just such a prevalent piece and wanting to, throughout that, be a listener and a healer and a leader. So I would say that, yeah, those experiences really shaped my interest in this career path.
0: Yeah. Now. Can you share with me how did the social justice piece get incorporated? Because I think most people, when they're thinking social justice is community work, community engagement, clinical interventions, rarely do they think about that in the context of research?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think that I had that feeling as well. You know at first, I wanted to be more of a practitioner and potentially be a therapist and work directly with communities and individuals, marginalized backgrounds. And then again, the undergrad research experiences really were pivotal for me. I was at NYU Steinhardt, where I met with one of my mentors, Dr. Shabnam Jordani, who does amazing work blending all of those pieces, blending community psychology, therapy, research. And she focuses on working with girls in the juvenile justice system in New York City. And so there was this amazing opportunity for us as undergrads to work and learn how to be advocates and do advocacy work for that population. And that's where I felt like it was like a a switch that flipped for me of, of understanding structural racism, understanding structural sexism and these systems that we have in place that marginalize people of color and women of color, girls of color. And so... That was really eye-opening and led me to want to research injustice as she does, and it really inspired me to, to understand how can we reject these systems of oppression through our research, through our practice, as well as, yeah, understand kind of the world through that lens. I think that was really pivotal for me in kind of combining all of those interests.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's amazing you had that experience, and it really speaks to the importance of mentorship in the graduate training program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of your area of expertise, and I think is very fitting for this month's AAPI series, is the model minority concept.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Can you define for us what that means for you?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I would say that the model minority myth is the dominant narrative of Asian Americans in the US today, it continues to be something that Asian Americans are monolithically kind of lumped together and understood through this lens. You know, Asian Americans under the model minority myth are largely viewed as unaffected by racism, largely viewed as not people of color who experience oppression, as well as not. It's seen as uninterested and unengaged in social justice work and racial justice work. There's this big typecasting of Asian Americans under the model minority myth as this problem-free group that values hard work, is high-achieving, economically, academically successful. And that myth continues to be perpetuated, and it may appear positive, it may appear harmless on the surface, but the consequences... Of living under the model minority myth are monumental and really significant. You know, the model minority myth is inaccurate in a lot of ways. It lumps together a really diverse group with varying privileges, varying um, marginalizations, and vulnerabilities. It minimizes the the racial discrimination that Asian Americans experience historically and today, especially given kind of the rise in anti-Asian hate crimes uh, since the pandemic in 2020. And furthermore, I would say that the model minority myth is often internalized by Asian Americans themselves. So we are kind of conditioned to believe that we're not experiencing racial oppression, that, you know, that we're not involved in activism, that that, that's not really for us, that that's not really something that we should be invested in. And so, yeah, Asian Americans may adopt these kinds of assumptions ourselves. They're so pervasive in our society. And we might view our own racial group as unaffected. By racism and we're, we're a model minority, shouldn't that be good? But then that in turn has a lot of consequences for our group. And so I would say that a lot of my, my research and practice is really committed to challenging and rejecting this assumption of the model minority myth and hopefully empowering our community to, to really reclaim what it means to be Asian Americans for ourselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really because this model minority myth, we didn't come up with that story.
1: Mm-mm. It no, was
0: given didn't. to us. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. In the 1960s during the civil war, this really came to be through white politicians who created this idea of Asian Americans being problem-free, perfect citizens in comparison to other racially minoritized groups that were fighting for their rights on the street and yeah, seeing them, kind of putting them in this example or this pedestal of being, you know, not rocking the boat, staying quiet, being compliant. And that's all part of this model minority image that we still carry in our society today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And in many ways perpetuates the racial hierarchy, which (laughs) is the whole racism practice. Yes,
1: exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think for maybe folks who don't quite understand the model minority myth or people who actually believe it, mm-hmm. not as a myth, but as something, hey, I am a model minority and this is what everyone should strive for. You mentioned there are negative consequences even within our own community. Can you yeah, just share with me some of the negative consequences that you have observed?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I would say that there are really negative psychological consequences and, and and more broadly, sociopolitical consequences. So some psychological consequences of our own racial group of Asian Americans internalizing this idea that we're a problem-free minority group that we're model minorities who are monolithically high achieving and hardworking. Again, positive on the surface, it can it serves a protective function there for boosting our, our, our sense of selves and, and maybe our sense of confidence in our in our cultural group and maybe cultural pride. And yet it also puts this immense pressure on on, a, on young Asian Americans, for example, to live up to this impossibly high standard of achievement. What if, you know, as an Asian American, you don't fit that mold, if you don't fit this kind of racial stereotype, and this one single story of what it means to be Asian American, that can lead to a number of negative psychological implications like greater anxiety, greater depression, lower self-esteem, just less life satisfaction, a higher risk of of engaging in substance abuse. The the research really shows that there are a host of, of negative mental health consequences of really internalizing and believing in these stereotypes and myths about our racial group. And then more broadly, some of my research kind of touches on how internalizing this myth can lead to experiencing negative attitudes towards other racial groups, because this myth does pit us against each other in ways under this racial hierarchy. And so in one of my studies that was published in cultural diversity and ethnic minority psychology journals, found that greater beliefs in the model minority myth among Asian American college students was correlated with greater anti-Black attitudes and greater opposition to affirmative action policies that try to rectify racial injustice over the years in the US. And so there's a lack of solidarity in that sense. It, It really does have these implications of pitting Asian Americans against Black Americans in particular, and that leads to just less solidarity in our collective efforts to really try to dismantle this racial hierarchy.
0: Yeah, as you're describing the findings from that study, I noticed that both our faces are having a look of disgust.
1: Yes, right. Which
0: is how can we observe? How can we have internalized this?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, how,
1: yeah, and it, I would say that again. We we as humans have a tendency to internalize beliefs that. Our society feeds us. And so this is not to internalize racism, is not to place further blame on people who are are victims of marginalization, but to just shed light on on how these systems are inescapable in, in some cases. And it really is key for for educators and clinicians and people who help others in our roles to yeah highlight myths that are perpetuated in our society can be harmful, even if they seem positive on the surface.
0: Yeah. I also like the message you're conveying here, which is we can't blame the people who have internalized this because then it becomes blaming of, say, the folks who are the victim to this belief system and a system that they are embedded in. Yes. Yeah, they're pulled back into the system in order to survive they develop certain beliefs.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it can it can have a, a a short-term protective function, right? Like it can on the short term help us kind of make sense of our world, feel like there's a sense of, you know, the world makes sense, right? Just believing that you know our, our world is just and fair, right? We all want to believe that that our society it, it makes sense and is fair and and has logic to it. But with things like internalized racism, internalized beliefs about the model minority myth, colorblind attitudes, which I also study, these are ideologies that are just so, like you said, embedded in our society and of course we're going to adopt them as members of society. So it's really important to, to again, shed light on these these systems of oppression.
0: Yeah. yeah. you mentioned these psychological effects of Asian Americans who internalize or who believe this model minority myth. I think you also mentioned that there are um, sociopolitical implications. Can Mm -hmm. you elaborate on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I would say that one of the big sociopolitical implications of the model minority myth is that Asian Americans feel caught in between white Americans and other people of color in this broader U.S. racial hierarchy. And it's really important for society and for us to understand how that impacts our race relations in, in our country. Asian Americans, then again, particularly Black Americans, are pitted against each other in debates against affirmative action, for example. You know, Asian Americans are are kind of placed in this model minority position where, you know, we're, we're seen as really hot, hardworking individuals who deserve to have kind of spots at Harvard and these Ivy League schools. And it's it's a complicated debate, and yet it's kind of pared down to you know, who's more deserving of a higher yeah. education? Uh, uh, um, yeah, that
0: whole debate, you know, gosh, it burns mm-hmm. inside. When when I hear Asian Americans arguing against affirmative action, yes. it really burns inside for me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So the kind of you're saying getting caught in this uh, racial relations in the U.S., this sociopolitical mm-hmm. atmosphere, also access to resources, affirmative action being one of them. Which is mm-hmm. access to institutions, educational opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to share about your research?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that one of the 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 pieces that's that's driving my current research interests is understanding activism, because when we think of activism. You know, we think of protesting and marching in the streets. You know, I think of I think of the the incredible movement of Black Lives Matter that has has really, you know, taken off in in, in recent years. And we don't necessarily think of activism in an Asian American context. And that is often due to the model minority myth again, because that myth really perpetuates this idea that Asian Americans, are apolitical, you know, they don't, maybe that they're not, they're not worthy of activism or, you know, even culturally Asian Americans are seen under the model minority myth as docile and passive and obedient and respect, respect for authority is such a key cultural value that often gets kind of twisted at times. And this idea of collectivism and conformity, you know, these are, these are key pieces of Asian cultural contexts, but, In some of the work I've done, I've been talking to Asian American college students about how they make sense of that in the context of their activism work or their lack of of engaging in activism. And oftentimes, my participants that I interviewed talked about how adopting certain values like collectivism, respect for authority, conformity, right, that might link to further upholding the model minority myth, which in turn... It hindered their activism is how they viewed it. And I would say that that was a really striking finding for me, given that Asian-Americans, you know, as a general group, do have tend to have collectivistic values that could motivate and have motivated Asian-Americans to fight for their collective, right, to protect our communities during the pandemic, protect our elders, you know, protect our family this big sense of interdependence and respect for our elders, for example, and community well-being, right? That actually can facilitate greater engagement and activism and greater connection to to social justice causes that our our Asian American community faces. And so I think that, you know, this could be a reflection of, of my participants developing their racial identities and understanding and maybe experiencing some dissonance about identifying as Asian American and and idealizing being white, which is a really significant stage in in racial identity development for young people. And so I think that, you know, as a researcher, I really would love to continue to to understand that stage of development and understand and and through my work advocate for this idea that, that Asian Americans are worthy of activism, that our culture does not necessarily hold us back from activism, but that our societal kind of racial hierarchy and the implications of that is what oftentimes hinders the ability to even think that we're worthy of activism in this country. And so that's really something that I found striking in in my research that I'd love to continue to, to unpack further.
0: In your research for folks, uh, the Asian uh, participants who had difficulty reconciling that Asians were worthy of activism, Mm. was there a relationship between internalized model minority myth? Mm.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I would say this is a qualitative study. This was my dissertation that really examined how Asian American college students understood the model minority myth and understood activism how they defined it how they perceived in it whether or not they engaged in it and one of the one of the pieces that that asian american college students talked about was that they might have internalized the model minority myth uh before entering college or maybe in the earlier stages of college but then started to through asian american studies courses through involvement with Asian American student organizations on campus, through starting to engage in activism for the first time on their campus, uh, in solidarity with other people of color. They learned, they unlearned, they unlearned the model minority myth. They unlearned structural racism and, and internalized biases. And that that work continues. We were never finished with that work, but really at the beginning of their their college careers, having those opportunities was so pivotal for them. And yet still some things linger, right? I think that I found that, you know, even as they unpacked that, the the piece that continued to, be, to linger and have residual effects was, do I even deserve to engage in activism for Asian American issues? Are there Asian American issues worth fighting for? Aren't there more things, more important things to fight for if I'm to be a social justice activist here. And that absolutely can can be traced back to, again, the model minority myth and how it really perpetuates this idea that other people of color have it worse.
0: Correct. Uh, It minimizes our experience
1: mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: and it buys into the racist structure. Yeah. Our issues are not worthy Mm -hmm. of discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this is a question I ask all my guest speakers. Mm -hmm. And as a person of color, tell me about a challenge that you experienced and how you overcame that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I can reflect on many challenges that come to mind that, that many of us face as people of color undergoing their graduate training, for example, in predominantly white institutions, feeling isolated, feeling tokenized in a lot of spaces experiencing how how the value of diversity equity and inclusion were up for debate in in graduate school as as i witnessed and and so i would say that one challenge that that comes to mind is as i was beginning my graduate training i was developing my research interests which were more broadly on racial justice but i found myself just being more drawn and more and more to the field of Asian American psychology. I had never touched that area of study actually before graduate school. But, you know, given my identities as an Asian American and my lived experiences as a person of color, I just became more and more interested in this field and wanting to do that me search, if you've ever heard of that term, that <laughs> me search. Um <laughs> And it was suggested to me by various faculty that I shouldn't pigeonhole myself like that, that I shouldn't be building a program of research around my identity, around Asian-American issues. Are you serious? If I did that, I wouldn't be competitive enough for academic positions in the future. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't. I'd be really pigeonholing myself. I couldn't market myself as a researcher for the future. You know, who's who's ever gonna have a job opportunity that that seeks expertise in Asian American psychology is kind of the messaging that I felt faced with in, 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 gra- in my graduate training. I've come to learn that there are job opportunities out there. I'm very thankful and excited about my future faculty position where that is absolutely the the opposite message was translated to me there because I've come to learn that, you know, over the years in my graduate student career, studying Asian American issues is the key to my motivation and actually pursuing my research, right? It's a huge factor in what makes me feel connected and passionate about my academic kind of growth. And so I knew that for me, I needed to seek out connections to Asian American scholars through the Asian American Psychological Association. I I sought community through an Asian American cultural center on campus, and I was a graduate assistant for a few years there where we could work directly with students on developing programming, educational programming on racial justice issues. I connected more with students of color in my program more broadly about shared experiences that we had throughout our graduate training about the value of our work. It led me to more community this facing this challenge I would say. It really helped me live by this idea that we're stronger together mm-hmm. and I hope to continue to to live that and spread that message through my research and through my teaching and mentoring and clinical work in the future.
0: Wow. Wow, that that is quite a bit of resilience you just exhibited to be able to reach out to I mean, not just folks in your department or folks in your immediate uh, circle, You're, you've actually gone to student organization groups
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's unrelated to psychology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, hmm. Yeah, these are some of the things uh, you know I'm thinking about too, which is how, how do we encourage folks who in many ways feel isolated yes. in their graduate training program? What are some of the things they can do? And it sounds like this is one example that they can consider, which is what are some of the community support or groups or organizations that they might be able to get involved in.
1: Yeah. Now the strength in valuing collectivism and valuing community and valuing interdependence that we can rely on each other through these challenges, I think was the biggest lesson that I learned through those challenges in graduate school and luckily, we're in a field that has built community and values that and values this work. And so it's seeking out those resources that was pivotal to kind of being able to thrive in in this stage of my career. And I'm just so excited to continue to, to lean on support. Again, the model minority myth, bringing that back in. It oftentimes, you know, paints this picture of being a problem-free minority that we don't need help, and that that can hinder help seeking. and And so, I actively hope that our community can reject that notion as mental health stigma continues to decrease, thankfully, in our community and beyond. And so, it's absolutely the the kind of it was pivotal in in, in strengthening my ability to to kind of persevere there
0: any tips you would recommend for either clinicians Mm. or faculty members?
1: Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. I would say that one of the largest takeaways from my work related to Asian American psychology and how to support Asian American students in particular, is that we shouldn't divorce or extricate kind of mental health concerns among asian americans from racism because oftentimes we view asian americans again as as not victims of racism as as very culturally uh you know unique and we oftentimes view asian americans as as not experiencing historical and current context of racism and so i think that when we work with Asian Americans, we should really understand their perspectives as people of color. We can, as clinicians, for example, help Asian American clients process what it's like to live under the model minority myth, process what it's like to navigate unjust racial hierarchies in the US, and not just focus on the mental health consequences, the psychological consequences as clinicians because that is a symptom of of a larger illness and which is systemic racism and so kind of taking that broader social political perspective is so important when we do it, the individual work of working with Asian American clients and students.
0: Wow, wow, thank you very much for that tip and it really does speak to this idea of the interconnectedness going beyond just the individual, Mm. which is very hyper-focused, very Mm. Eurocentric perspective. It's all about the individual client. And we lose sight on the broad society or the social structures that they live in. And that plays a profound impact to Mm. their mental health conditions or their mental health struggles. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Jackie, again, thank you so much for your time and sharing your research.
1: Thank you so much.
0: All right. Take care.
1: Take care. Bye.
0: A huge thank you to our listeners. If you like what you've heard, please share and subscribe to our podcast, People of Color in Psychology.